It feels lonely to be a CEO. Let me tell you something, you are not alone in this journey. To make it easier and more impactful, you only need the correct tools, expert guides, and a community of business leaders like you. Welcome to the Impact X podcast, the space for business leaders who want to create more impact in their business while reducing personal and professional drama. Hi, I'm Daniel Marcos, CEO of the Growth Institute, an entrepreneur for more than 20 years and CEO coach for more than 12. Through my journey, I have met and learned from great CEOs and business leaders, and I would invite them here to get to know them and learn from the best. Ready? Let's impact X your company and life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good night, depending on what part of the world you're visiting us. Hi, I'm Daniel Marcos. I'm the host of the Impact Tech podcast, how the best CEOs could give up to 10 times the impact with half the drama. And today we're with an expert on how to give more impact with less drama and be way more efficient. Ari, how are you? I'm great. Good to see you. Super excited to have you here. Uh, so quickly, a little bit about Ari. Um, he lives in Princeton, New Jersey with his wife, Anna, and four children. And by the way, my son is also called Lucas. The one is just living here. So we have a, a son named Zane. Uh, he's an author of amazing books of how to be way more efficient, how to do more with less. So we're going to get into that. Um, he uh, He's a graduate from the University of Pennsylvania at Wharton School of Business, and he was a professor at NYU. Um, what were your classes that you used to teach? Uh, entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Yeah. Perfect. And he's an expert on doing... Uh, doing more in uh, building systems and really how to be way more efficient. And indeed, I heard that today you work 25 minutes a day. Sometimes less. <laughs> Sometimes less. All right. So we have to start there. How can you work 25 minutes a day and be efficient? Uh, <clears throat> so it all comes down to asynchronous communication. That's the, the number one. That's like the number one productivity tool in the arsenal. Uh, and so, you know, for, to clarify what that means, right? This is the opposite of what we're doing right now, right? This is synchronous conversation. Well, my pleasure, but to be fair, so this is the only scheduled meeting on my calendar this entire week. Brilliant. Uh, that, yeah, that you and I have. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not working. Um, I have, my main business right now is coaching. Uh, it has been for a long time, but that's the focus. I have courses and other stuff, but I, I do coaching. So I, Currently, I'm working with 26 individuals, one-on-one -on -one private coaching, no group stuff, around the world, and they have unlimited access to me, and I'm still doing that you know, 20 minutes or so a day. So it's all done asynchronously. Now, the, the tool doesn't matter so much, but I use a tool called Boxer, which I'm a big fan of for a number of reasons, which we can get into if we have time. Uh, but basically, people we can do voice messaging back and forth. So my clients get unlimited access to me. They can start. I have clients to speak to every single day, sometimes for a few minutes. Uh, and then they'll send me much longer messages every now and then. But there's no expectation of response time. I'm, I'm pretty quick, but I don't set an expectation. And, uh, you know, if somebody has a thought at two in the morning, their time, I, I might answer it. It's, you know, 7 a.m. the next day. Who knows? But everything is done asynchronously. So, and it also... I can listen to those messages at multiple speeds. So 99% uh, of my communication at this point is done asynchronously, not just clients, but even my sales are done over Voxer. I uh, communicate with the two contractors that still do work with me over Voxer and uh, even with some friends and my wife. Wow. All right. So so first, people said, no, I want to talk one-on-one -on -one on you. If you're going to coach one-on-one, -on -one, I want to talk to you. So how yeah. could you... 
train them or send them to do it with Boxer and be okay with it? Well, so first of all, it's the only option, right? So uh, if they want to work with me, that's that's how it works. And what is interesting, what has been interesting is that originally I did it as a way of being more convenient for me. What I found very, very quickly was it actually has turned out to be the most effective form of coaching I have ever experienced. And uh, clients are saying the same because what's so fascinating is to me is that and, and as a coach, like I work with people on productivity issues, but productivity issues really stem from a lot of psychology issues, a lot of procrastination and fear and uh, ego stuff. So like we actually get into some very, very deep topics. And if you have, let's say it's Friday at three o'clock and you're in the office and you have an argument with a team member and you get in a, and a, a, a customer is unhappy and they, you know, are not nice to you. So is it better for you to sort of hold on to that, maybe try to process it, whatever, until our Wednesday appointment at one o'clock so that we can spend 45 minutes together so you can get the three minute answer that you need? Or can you walk out of that meeting and just let loose on me and curse and say whatever you need to say and get it out? And then maybe I'll get back to you a few hours later with that like 90 second silver bullet that you needed to hear before the weekend started, you know, which was better. So how do you translate that to a team? If you imagine you're a CEO of a company and you coach CEOs, how do you coach them for them to use Boxer and this asynchronous communication with the team? Because one of the biggest complaints of teams is we're in meetings all the time, right? I have my calendar full of meetings and that really breaks a lot of your productivity. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, this, this essentially effectively eliminates the need for any kind of meetings really, except for major like brainstorming sessions, which could be two, three hour things, but that's a very different kind of a thing. Uh, and that also has, there's real validity there, but absolutely the vast, vast majority of meetings. It, it, so many people walk out of a meeting and say, you know, that should have been an email. My response is like, well, it should have just been a, a voice message and you're done. <laughs> and, uh, but, and, and the counter to that is people are going to be like, well, then we don't feel connected to our team members. One of the things that all of my team, all of the companies that I work with do now is an asynchronous daily standup. So instead of having your standup at asynchronous, nine, so yeah, I do the daily huddle and it's, I cannot live a day without it. And it's, a, and it's a hugely important thing. I think the problem is, is that let's say it's, you know, nine in the morning on a Monday, whatever. First of all, you have people in different time zones and all that, that becomes more obvious, but everybody has a different rhythm to their day and to their, the, the things that they do better at different times of night or day and night. And you might have somebody who is an amazing writer at 11 p.m., but they can't write two words at 11 in the morning. And that's no, and that's okay. Now, the odds that you're going to get two people, much less a team of six, seven, eight, 20, that are going to be able to be on the same schedule on a huddle and be engaged and be involved is almost impossible, statistically almost impossible. So with the asynchronous standup, which is so fun, is so you have like a group message. And again, voice to me is really important. You can do this on things like Slack or Teams, but to me, voice is really important because it just connotes so much energy and emotion, tonality and stuff. So you have a group message. And in my case, the last time I, I had this in a significant fashion, I had a team of seven in uh, four time zones. So the message would pop in our group chat at like seven in the morning and say, hey team, time to check in. What's your biggest obstacle? Sorry, what are you working on today? And what is your biggest obstacle? And there were seven of us. And I'd say that, Typically, everybody had checked in within an hour. Sometimes it could take four or five hours, but every single day, all of us were checking in, getting on the same page. And uh, we had that voice communication and the, the, that came across really well. So it was 
extremely effective. And then we can extrapolate that out from there too. Um, the other thing is that I have a lot of interests outside of coaching and, you know, my life, I have four children. We have two dogs, three cats, four chickens. Um, I do woodworking. I'm an EMT in two different cities. You know, like there's a lot of things that I want to be doing that are not related to coaching, but ultimately all those experiences actually make me a better coach. Um, and I can answer, I, I can coach somebody at three in the morning while I'm sitting on the back of the ambulance in Trenton wow. uh, and, and, you know, get things done. Interesting. So what are the other things that you do to help company, uh, executives or leaders be more efficient? One is asynchronous communication. Give me a couple uh, that are kind of your top three. Other than asynchronous communication? Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, project management is, uh, it might sound like an obvious one, but I think a lot of people just don't really do it the right way. Um, so having the goal of, of project management or the way the project management systems are set up, in my opinion, is to really provide a lot of transparency. I call it radical transparency because it eliminates micromanagement, allows people to really focus on what they're doing and also to work in the style that they work. And so, like, so in a concrete example, again, tools are not the key here, but I happen to have preferences. I like a tool called Trello. And mostly that's because it really focuses on a Kanban setup. So you can use any tool you want, but it, I'm really a big believer that the Kanban style of project management is the only way that works for human beings. And that's where you have lists that represent phases. You can do it with whiteboard and post-it notes if you want, but there needs to be dynamism to it. There needs to be the ability to communicate in that place where the work is happening. Uh, it, you need to have one owner of every task. You need to have deadlines that are clear and, and, and don't just sit statically. So there's sort of a number of facets there, but really having a, a solid project management setup uh, really cuts through a lot of the overwhelm. Yeah. Um, and then The third one would be uh, processes. So having really bulletproof processes, which 99.9% of companies do not. Um, at any level, by the way. Uh, and I, you know, I, I remember I gave a talk to a bunch of cruise ship companies, you know, multi-hundred million dollar companies. And they, at a corporate level, most of them did not have really good processes in place on the, yep. the actual operations of the, the boats they did. But So the way that most people write processes it, is wrong. Uh, because we're really bad oftentimes at teaching or even worse at sort of downloading what's in our brains. Yep. And a lot of people will show somebody a process or show them how to do something in this area and we'll do it. I like to flip that around and say to people, here's the process or watch me do it. And now you write the process. And then I'm going to look at it or I'll give it to a third person and check. And there's always going to be issues because of that sort of telephone effect. So then we can fix those at a very grand level because processes should be written in such a way And I'm happy to take this challenge, but at any level, because I've done this for 200 step processes for mortgage companies and very complex processes. You should be able to write a process in a way that somebody could come off the street and do that process without any training or any experience in that way and just be able to follow the process. And that becomes a, that's a really bulletproof process. So, so what's the key? Because I've, I've been a, I'm a CEO, I've been a CEO for 24 years and I've asked my team and I'm terrible doing proxies and, and most of my team, like 99.9 are terrible. Um, I have a couple that are amazing, but, but how can you train them to do it or what, the, what's the right key to do the right process or build a process, right? Yeah. So I started to sort of allude to it there. So it's, they don't, they shouldn't be good at writing processes because that's, that's, it's a skill set that a lot of them just don't have, but if they're good at doing what they do, then show somebody how to do it and you can show them with a screencast or physically show them. And then you ask them to write, 
the checklist of what they saw. And now you take that checklist and you give it to a third person who hasn't seen it yet and have them look through it. And it's never going to work, which is great because they're going to get to step two and they're going to be like, hey, it says to click that button, but I don't see it. And then they come back to you and you're like, oh, right, because uh-huh. I have admin access and you don't. So, okay, we have to fix that. And then it gets down to this step. And the per- it's like, okay, well, at that point, they sent the, uh, the, the document to Alan. Who's Alan? Oh, right. It has to be sent it to the project manager for the, you know, this particular process, whatever it might be. Um, so we get to fix it at a super granular level. And I saw a really great example of this the other day at Wawa of all places. So if you don't live in the Northeast, it, yeah. So Wawa is like 7-Eleven, okay. um, but it's like the Pennsylvania, Jersey version. <laughs> um, so I got a smoothie and you know how if you can go to Starbucks, they're like it. And I hate Starbucks, but if you go to Starbucks, they take your order and they write like caramel mock on there or whatever they have, right? They write the drink name. At Wawa, I went and I got this smoothie and it didn't say the name of the smoothie. The label that was on it was the instructions for making it. It was really fascinating. And it literally said it was like, take blender jar. And then it was like 16 ounces of ice in cup. And then it's the next section that says C, uh, C start, which is cup start. Wow. So it was like, you know, five ounces of strawberry base, two ounces. And then it even said, it said, leave room for ice, put in this straw, and then place label on cup. And that's like, the code they give every client. So that was that. Yeah. Well, it's on the sticker, wow. right? So, yeah. So, what's amazing about that is that I don't have to be a Wawa employee to make that smoothie, right? I could walk in and do it because I'm sure I could see something, a box that says strawberry base. It's bulletproof. And, wow. and what you do what you do when you make a process that way is you eliminate training. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the training that companies have in place is actually there to compensate for bad process. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, so a lot of CEOs that you coach, I imagine they're building really big companies. Um, some. Or some. Or they're trying, or at least with an, an, an effort or a goal to that. And I... Part of what I teach is you have to design the company and the business that fits your life. Uh, what is success for you, um, um, Ari? And 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 then how do you help other CEOs get to their success? So I think a lot of people, well, I know, sorry, I know a lot of people try to they shoot for this thing called the best, right? Everybody should do their best. Let's do our best, you know, best, best, best. The problem to me, for me with best is that it's an end point, is a stopping point to me. Like best is finite. I, I, and I think it's, a, it's very limiting in some ways, actually. To me, it's about being better every day. So success for me is that if I am better today in any way than I was yesterday, then I am successful. And that could be better as a business person, as a coach, as a husband, as a father, as an EMT, uh, as a woodworker. And that's, that's, that's what I'm being better at today. I'm doing a bunch <laughs> this morning. Constant improvement, Kaizen, constant improvement for the good. And if I'm doing that, that's success for me. The second facet of that is I like to be able to say at the end of the day, what did I teach and what did I learn? Uh, and if I can, if there's something under both of those categories, I call that a win. Nice. All right. Um, now let's talk about the people you help. 
what do you what they tell you that's success for them and what they want and do you help them understand what they really want of success or you just help them to get it because i imagine you have you have a life with very little drama um and and a high impact life um and the average ceo we have a lot of drama in our operation because we believe that drama goes with doing something big yes that's true so I would say that a lot of people have a very misconstrued sense of what they think they want and what success is. Uh, and, you know, money is sort of the obvious one, but there's, the so the most fascinating thing, and this happens like clockwork every time I work with somebody, my, my original productivity system is called less doing, more living, right? Less, yeah. less doing. The business sort of version of that became the replaceable founder. Right. So what I do is I help entrepreneurs become more replaceable, not replace. I'm not going to replace them, but more replaceable, because that means we have to have systems and processes in place. We have to start delegating. And then that trickles down. Everybody has to be as more replaceable as possible, because if you can't be replaced, you're stuck. What continuously happens, I think it's usually on average about six months after I start working with somebody. Is they they free up a lot of their time, they put these systems in place, they get to inbox zero, they do all this stuff. And then they're left wondering what to do with themselves. <laughs> and they it. realize that a lot of times the business that they have started and that they operate is basically a way for them to work out their own psychological problems. <laughs> and that is a very poor way to direct the things that we do and the things that we don't. So we end up, so we have a lot of times where people create drama, they create a false need of themselves to feel valuable. And a lot of times where I end up, I, I end up feeling like I have to protect the entrepreneur's team from the entrepreneur's mind. So it's, uh, I always tell people, it's, it's the fear of being with yourself. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is I start to help people. It, people go through like an existential crisis a lot of times when they work with me at that point, because They've been working 20 hours a day on this business for so long, and now they don't do that. What are they supposed to do? And then they start to discover what they really want, and what they're really good at, and where they can really be challenged to grow. Because without friction, we cannot change. Wow. All right. Uh, well, we, that, that, that you could bring into a lot more. Uh, let me ask a side question. I'm, I'm leading a program um, uh, called, uh, whatever, Gathering of Titans next April in MIT. And we meet yeah, 17 I spoke there. Oh, you spoke there some years ago. That's right. That's right. You spoke oh, there some years ago. So I'm chairing it this year. And every year we put a subject or a name to the program. And I name it Halftime. Uh, most of us, we've been 25, 30 years working and making money. Um, and now a lot of us are transitioning to our second half of our life. We're in between 50s and 60s and more worried about our kids and setting them right and, and all these kind of things. So so I imagine you've coached people on their second half after they build a business and they sell it. Um, so, so what advice do you help them to refigure that? What's their purpose and, and, and what they want to do and kind of guide them through that process? This is going to sound so stupid and I recognize this, but... Uh, a lot of times it's about finding a hobby. Um, and it's not just about a hobby. There is something very specific about a, it, it could be a hobby, but uh, long focused work 
with your hands. Um, and so, the, and it's really interesting because what, there's actually a lot of research that shows that that kind of work really cuts through a lot of the noise and the focus issues that people have. So like I, I've had a lot of iterations of this, but in the last, I guess, three years during the pandemic, I discovered woodworking as my thing. And now I love woodworking. And it is the only thing in my life ever where I can just do it for six hours without even thinking about it. Wow. And, and, uh, and with no purpose sometimes. Because a lot of like, you get to a point in woodworking where you're like, you've made like the bowl and the, the picture frame and stuff. And then you just start practicing joints that you make. You look at it, then you throw it away, basically. Like, it's which is crazy to me. Like, yeah. I could never, I would never have told a client, like, yeah, spend six hours in this thing, but just for no purpose. Like, it took me a long time to be able to appreciate it. And I just turned 40, by the way, like three weeks ago. Wow. So, um, but it could be cooking. It could be playing the guitar. It could be any of these things where we're really using our hands, because if you think about it, a lot of businesses now, especially the ones that we're coaching, because I'm not necessarily coaching like an HVAC contractor, you know, although I have, but it's, that's, that's a little more seldom. Uh, when we stop working with our hands and we stop working outside and we stop partaking in nature, and I, I start to sound like a little woo-woo at this point, but it makes it very hard to like know who we are or where we are in space. Um, and that's, the thing that we need to do because otherwise those second that second half they just jump into another business because that's all that they knew how to do and it's comfortable so but, but what i'm hearing is human beings we have to be busy with our hands for us to be kind of in a in a good place if not we start deviating in many things um mental and then we get in trouble or we make dumb things like yeah, well, that's, and that's the thing is entrepreneurs are the worst example of that, right? Because basically, uh, I, I forgot who wrote it, but there was some really interesting thing about the evolution of an entrepreneur, essentially how we are the, an evolutionary irritant. Basically, like we're there to like mess things up so that we can fix them and make them better. But if there's nothing to mess up, we're going to mess up ourselves or something oh, yeah. that like we love. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it really is true. It, it is so true. Right. Uh, and some, a lot of that is culture. A lot of that is just history and routine. And some of that is just not knowing that there is another way of doing it. Right. Um, you talk about your external brain or having an external brain. What is that? Uh, so ideas are kind of the lifeblood of an entrepreneur, right? Or really any business person. And the human brain is amazing coming up with ideas. It's very bad at holding on to them. So we need to have idea capture systems. Systems is the key word here around us all the time. Because every time I say that, people are like, oh, I have this journal. It's like, yeah, how many times do you look back at that journal? Well, never. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> it's not really a system. So we need to have a way of capturing ideas, a way of sorting all of those ideas in some central place a little bit later, and then maybe executing upon them at some point down the road. Um, and so... Fortunately, now there are so many ways that we can do this in technology. In, in technology, so I have uh, Alexa devices all over, all over, the all, all, all over the house here, uh, and I can say to her, uh, "Add this to my, um, add this to my to-do list or shopping list." I can't remember, and that will actually make a Trello card for me, thanks to an automation with IFCTT. Wow. So then at night, I can go through the, you know, five or six Trello cards that were created throughout the day and be like, all right, this is something I want to read. This is something I, you know, I need to sign up for the kids for this thing. This is something I want to tell my wife about. And this is a big idea I want to discuss with my, you know, ops person. Um, 
but I, and I, so I have those devices all over the house. I have it in my car. I also can take a screenshot on my phone. And again, through IOTTT, that will create a Trello card. So basically, like you never want to be more than 20 seconds away from capturing an idea and you want to be able to get it out of your head and move on. Impressive. Okay. Um, and how do you sort this? I imagine you have thousands of pages and voice messages and all that. Do you have a way to to, stru to structure it or, or uh, store it that that will be your brain and you could go and access it? It's all in Trello. Um, it's all in Trello. I, used to, I used to do it in Evernote and, and you can do what you want. Like you can, IFTTT can put it in Evernote also. Oh. Uh, but I just, I like Trello and Trello. I find the search very intuitive. And so it's all there. Um, and it's, it's Trello is very visual too. You can have pictures and things in it. So plus what's nice about Trello as opposed to like, uh, Evernote is that if I, let's say I take a screenshot of a product I see, right? And then that's in Trello now as a card. Now I can make a comment on that and be like, yeah, I think we should do this, but we should do it in green and it should be this size. And then I can assign that card to one of my contractors that's in Trello. So it's like, you know, right there, ready to go. And then I'm done, which is a little, I mean, you can do it through Evernote, but there, there's a couple extra steps there. So I might as well have the ideas go right into my project management setting where I can immediately do something about it if I want to. All right. Um, let me go back to something you said like 10 minutes ago about inbox zero. Like it's for, for me, it sounds just almost impossible. Um, tell me about inbox zero. How do you get to inbox zero? What's, what's like the two, three rules that we have to follow? Yeah. So the important thing to understand about inbox zero is that it's, it's really not about the, um, uh, it's not about the emails themselves. It's really about decision-making. So the email problem is not an email problem. It's a decision-making problem. And the inbox, the email inbox is an unusual situation where you have thousands of decisions that you can basically be making at any given time, which we really don't see in other places. So if you look at this as a way of making more effective decisions, that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And basically, there's only three ways to handle an email. Three Ds. So delete it, which is yeah. sounds obvious, but most... The, Something like 50% of the emails that people respond to don't actually require a response. And yeah. the more email you send, the more email you get. The second one, second D is deal with it. If you can deal with it right now, like in the next three minutes without a big sort of mind shift, do it right now. Because this idea that like, oh, I'll get to this later. There is no later. Like later, something else is happening. Um, but dealing with it could include delegating it, a little subset D, right? So you send it off to somebody else, say, handle this or whatever it might be, put it in your uh, task manager system, and then you are done at that point, effectively, if you delegate it correctly. The third D is the most complicated, but also the most interesting, which is to defer it. So you basically, look, I can't say no to this. I can't delete this. Um, I can't do it right now, but I have to do it. So when is the right time to do it? And it's not snoozing it to tomorrow. You know, I'll deal with it tomorrow. It's the same. That's just sweeping the dirt in the rug. You look at this, you're like, all right, this is a finance related question. I deal with finance stuff on Friday mornings at 10 a.m. Finance Fridays, 10 a.m. So I'm going to defer this. And you can do this in Gmail automatically. I think you, you, know, you can do an Outlook as well. It's, uh, it's like snooze or something. Um, but you can I'm say snooze until Friday at 10 a.m. Exactly. And then forget about it. Yeah. 
Now, Friday at 10 a.m., maybe you have three or four things to deal with, but they're all the same kind of a thing. And you can bash them and boom, 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 you're done. And you're in that mindset. And now you have decided that you're going to do it more effectively at that time. You're not procrastinating because you're not running in fear. You are taking control and saying, no, this is the better time to do it. And that's what I'm going to deal with it. Brilliant. Okay. And let me get into the last subject of the uh, podcast. You have a course called The Replaceable Founder. Uh, and by the way, we we're all would all dream on, on that. But let me, let me bring that to the concept on, I help a lot of my clients prepare their companies for selling. And then when they sell, the company depends on the founder or the CEO. And then they say, well, we'll buy your company, but you have to stay two years or five years or whatever. And that that's a really, really big drama when you sell a company. So when you're preparing to sell a company, there's work on the company itself, but there's a lot of work on the founder and the, the CEO of the company. So, so how can you make a replaceable founder or a replaceable CEO and, and, and how to run the company uh, whenever you're able to sell it, that you're going to really be able to sell it and detach from it? Yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the ticket, right? Because when you sell a company, when you should be able to position the company in such a way that when you sell it, they don't need you to stay on for three years. There's no value necessarily in you staying on in three years in anything other than an advising capacity. Yep. Because when we become ultimately replaceable, your value to the company is your ideas. And the only involvement that person should be having in the company at that point is to move it forward. And to take it even further, any involvement they have that is not moving the company forward, they're holding it back. The biggest bottleneck, as Vern always likes to say, the bottleneck is usually at the, uh, just like a bottle is at the top. top. Right. So one of the things, I mean, so, so practically speaking, we need to be able to delegate effectively. That's a whole conversation itself. We need to be able to get systems and processes in place that replace what we do well, automate things, all that kind of stuff. Once we've done all that, we need to be able to let go, yep. which is hard. And yep. that's where a lot of the work ends up becoming because there's trust issues. There's like, oh, it's not going to be good enough. But really what it comes down to is an ego thing where it's like, I just need to stay valuable and relevant. Whereas founders, founders particularly, not CEOs necessarily, and that's not the same thing always, as you know. Founder, the value of a founder for the most part is the initial idea. Maybe it's bringing together a great team. It's rarely their ability to operate a company with excellence. That's ter That's generally not what we see the value in a founder. So in that way, we should the founders should be able to go on and create another idea or be able to be an advisor and do that. Conversely, the CEO's value is not necessarily an in innovation, but in helping to maintain, set, and organize around a vision. All right. right? And, yep. and I would argue that one of the big jobs of a leader is that often the good leaders do and the bad leaders don't is removing obstacles for your team. A lot of I think that a lot of CEOs really feel like their teams are there to serve them. And I think it is 100% the other way around. 100%. Gary Vaynerchuk says yeah. this a lot. Like, well, who? Oh, yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk. He said, if you think your employees work for you, it's the other way around. You work for them. Your job is to help them be successful. And the more successful they are, the more they grow your company. 100%. Exactly. Um, and so, and if that means that you end up jumping down and doing, you know, menial labor, if you have to, 
great. So you can free up somebody else to do what they need to be able to do. And you had the time to do it. So uh, at that point, in some ways, the value of the person or the, not even the value, sorry, it's the, um, it's the difference between being irreplaceable and indispensable. So we don't want someone to be irreplaceable. We want them to be indispensable. And there is a subtle but very, very important difference. Brilliant. All right. Um, all right. Um, well, that was amazing. Uh, you're, you're the um, the expert on productivity. Um, if people want to follow you, where, where can they go to learn more about you and, and how to get replaced and how to be more productive? So everything is at lessdoing.com. Um, but if anybody wants to get on Voxer and have a conversation, they can go to voxwithra.com. And I welcome anybody to reach out. That takes them to a video that sort of explains how it works. And the... I, I saw your video on YouTube. You have a one in the video that explains how to box you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's impressive. All right. Ari, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. We need it a lot. We're all kind of been burned out after COVID, kind of trying to go back. And and we we don't know. We, we lost a lot of our rhythms and and we're trying to be remote and not remote and it's it's been an issue to going back so thank you for that thank you for having me thank you for joining us for one more episode of impact text podcast don't forget to follow me in youtube and instagram i'm constantly sharing content and tools for you to become the best version of yourself i'm daniel marcos see you soon, see you, see you soon.